Vision Sunday, and uh, we're going to do our best. Oh, Mike. Thank you. We have an amazing team back there who serves, and uh, just so grateful to be here today. Thank you for joining us on Vision Sunday. Uh, like I said, uh, we want to wrap this time up, Lord willing, by 11. And then I want to invite you to stick around, uh, especially if you're a part of this church family. Hear about the vision here at Hope and what God's doing. Um, it's, it's a great season here at Hope, and uh, you're all a part of that. So, But here right now, we're, we're wrapping up our, our series on Worthy, and I want to begin our time together by thinking about the power of vision. It was December 17th, 1903, when the Wright brothers achieved their very first successful flight. Uh, the plane traveled only 120 feet. It remained in the air uh, just 12 gravity-defying seconds. But that was a moment that would change the world. world. And uh, if you think about it, today you and I can get on a plane, we can travel anywhere in the world. And that's really owing to the vision and the determination of these two brothers. According to the Wright brothers, and this is the part of the story that I really love, it turns out they got their vision for flight when they were just children. How cool is that? In 1878, when Orville was eight and Wilbur was 12, their father bought them an amazing gift. They got a, uh, a rubber band powered helicopter toy. And according to the Wright brothers, they couldn't put the toy down. They played and they played and they played with this toy and they wore it out. And then, according to the Wright brothers, they just started building their own flying toys. And the rest, as we say, is history. A toy sparked a vision that would change the world. And this is the power of vision. Proverbs actually says that we perish for lack of vision. We all need a vision because vision carries us forward in life. And today, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 4 and 5. And we're going to get a vision of the worship that is taking place in heaven right now. It's pretty amazing. And just like the Wright brothers were able to take apart their toy helicopter and learn more about flight, if you're new to this whole idea of worship, today as we, as we look at at worship in heaven, you're going to have a better understanding of what worship is all about. For our regular worshipers, having a vision for worship is going to lift our worship. It'll raise it to another level. Something powerful happens in our life when, when our worship is propelled by a vision. And the vision we need can be found in Revelation 4. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Revelation 4 and follow along. Um, but... As we talked about last week, as you're turning there, last week we talked about what worship looks like in this world, in this sinful, sinful world. And we said worship is definitely, uh, you know, an event that we take part in. Like we come on Sunday morning and we sing praises to God. This is an expression and a powerful expression of our worship. But we also said that worship is more than just a song that we sing. Worship is a way of life. Worship, according to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, is offering our life to God, 
our everyday life, our going to work, going to school, uh, raising kids kind of life. All of life becomes worship as it's offered to God and transformed by Him. Well, today, our perspective changes. Instead of looking at worship on earth and what that looks like for us, we're going to actually now transition to looking at worship in heaven. What's going on in heaven right now? And John actually helps us make this transition in the first chapter of Revelation. Revelation 1.10, John says, On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. What is the Lord's day? For Christians and The Lord's Day is the first day of the week. It's what Christians call the Lord's Day. Uh, Today is the Lord's Day. It's the first day of the week or Sunday. Why is the Lord's Day important? Well, according to the Bible, you remember, Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. So for Christians, we don't call Sunday our day. We call Sunday the Lord's Day. And we honor our Lord each and every Sunday by gathering together to worship Him. And Christians have been worshiping on the Lord's Day all the way back to when Jesus rose from the dead. Does that mean you can't worship on a Saturday? No. But we honor a day to the Lord. So get this. John tells us very specifically in Revelation chapter 1 that he receives this vision On the Lord's day. He receives this vision on the day of worship. On a day where he's going to be worshiping God, God says, hey, John, come up here and let me show you what's taking place in heaven. As you're worshiping on earth, guess what's going on in the heavenly realms? And and this is God's way of saying, hey, church, as we're worshiping on the Lord's day, guess what? This is what you're a part of. This is what's going on in heaven right now. And so stunning and so breathtaking is the vision that John receives that we're about to read. His language fails him. But what we're about to read is full of symbolic language and powerful imagery because John's language fails him. Literal language can't contain the full measure of what John has seen. It's like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.9. I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who loved Him. But in Revelation, God's going to give us a glimpse. And John is going to begin to show us that whatever the reality of our worship on earth, whether it's here for us at Hope Community Church, whether it's a handful of people on the continent of Africa, whatever our worship looks like, we are a part of something so much bigger. When, we, when you and I worship God here on earth, we participate in a heavenly activity. We get a foretaste of the worship of heaven, something that we're going to be a part of forever and ever. Worship really is that amazing. Psalm 96.4 Our theme verse says, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. There it is. Great is the Lord. You're going to hear that theme echoed in Revelation 4 and 5. So we're going to read Revelation 4 and 5. We'll ask, what's going on in heaven right now? And then how does that make a difference in our lives and our vision as a church? 
Are you guys ready? We're going to read two chapters of Scripture. Is that okay? You guys with me? Okay. To make it a little bit more interactive, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to read kind of the narrative. And whenever worship takes place in heaven, we're going to read those words of worship all together, congregationally. You guys do that? You do that with me? Okay. So I'll make sure it says congregation nice and big on the screen. This is the word of the Lord. John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. Referring to the previous vision. At once I was in the Spirit, And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, oh, this is us. Ready? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, And who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worships him who lives forever and ever. That's Jesus. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, Here we go, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. 
Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that was in them saying, To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. God, it shatters the chains, it pierces the darkness, and it changes our lives. Open our eyes to the great reality of you who sit on the throne and the lamb who was slain, who is worthy of all the glory, honor, and praise. God, speak to us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So first question we're asking is, what's going on in heaven right now? And we see, first of all, that heaven is a place of worship. Did you catch that? All the worship of heaven? Pretty amazing. God says to John, come up here. And John sees a spectacular scene of worship before the throne and before the Lamb. And he describes this scene in all of its majesty. And we want to look at some of those individual elements of the worship taking place in heaven. First of all, we see the throne. Verse 2, there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. I think it's very interesting. John comes up to heaven. He gets a vision of heaven and immediately his eyes are drawn to the throne. The throne is the centerpiece of heaven. The word throne shows up 44 times in the book of Revelation. 17 of those occurrences are right here in Revelation 4 and 5 in the vision of the throne room. But John wants us to know that whatever we're facing in this world, whether politically or economically, whatever's going on in your life, your career or your family, your home, whatever that is, we need to understand today that God sits on the throne. That it's easy to, and maybe you have some things in your life where it feels like something's spinning out of control. But realize today as we see this vision that, that God is great and God is in control. He's in charge. When things shake us up, we're reminded by this vision to trust and not be afraid. Because God is good and God sits on the throne. He is in control. This throne is a spectacular throne, isn't it? We see the greatness and glory of God. 
says the one who sits on the throne has the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow encircles it. So this language speaks to us of the breathtaking majesty of God's glory, the radiance of His presence, but also His faithfulness. Right? The rainbow which encircles the throne reminds us of the rainbow back in Genesis. It's a God who keeps His promise to us. And John expands out from the throne in his vision of God and he sees next 24 elders. Verse 4, Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. So who are the 24 elders? That's a great question. We get a couple of clues within the book of Revelation. One uh, would come from just uh, the vision previously in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. We'll notice that the crowns and the white, is it white robes? Dressed in white. Maybe I'm thinking white robes. But uh, crowns and dressed in white, that's descriptive of the saints. That's descriptive of believers who have overcome. They're now in God's presence. And so in some way, these 24 elders represent believers. Um, another clue might be found in Revelation chapter 21. You'll read there that uh, the New Jerusalem will have 12 gates. And were written on the, the, on the gates, the 12 tribes of Israel. And the New Jerusalem also has 12 foundations. And written on the 12 foundations are the names of the 12 apostles. So it's almost certain that these 24 elders in some sense represent all the people of God throughout the ages. The 12 uh, Old Testament tribes, the Old Testament people, the 12 apostles, us as New Testament believers, it represents us as those who are overcoming and believing in Jesus, following the Lamb, declaring worthy is the Lord. And these, these 24 elders represent the people of God in worship. What does John see next? Gets a little bit crazier, I'll admit. Four living creatures. Verse 6, in the center around the throne were four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each one of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped, never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's what John saw in this vision. He saw these four living creatures proclaiming holy, holy, holy. And he says they never stopped saying it to this day. These living creatures proclaim the holiness of God. That just blows my mind. So these are some strange creatures. They're a little bit wild, right? But when you look at it a little more closely, they're not as strange as you think. The imagery for this creature, these creatures, comes from the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 6 and Ezekiel chapter 1. Isaiah and Ezekiel see God's throne. They're, they get a vision of God's throne. And in their vision, you also find these living beings in the presence of God. 
And a lot of the imagery from those living beings can be found here in the imagery of these four living creatures. John has them in, in God's throne room as well. But I think there's another thing we notice about the living creatures, and that's how representative they are. Again, very representative. Um, one is a lion. Uh, lion, we say they're the king of the jungle or the king of beasts, right? So lion's the king of the beasts. We've got one who uh, looks like a flying eagle. So an eagle, that's the king of the sky, the king of the birds. You have an ox, right? The ox is the strongest of the domestic animals. Then you have a man. So it seems like these living creatures represent God's created life. In some sense, creation itself has a song to sing, and all of that comes together in these living creatures who are proclaiming before the throne, holy, holy, holy. So now with these 24 elders and four living creatures we've started to get a sense already of the expanse of the worship before the throne of God. And this, this praise continually surrounds God's throne, as I said. And would this be our vision, church? When we gather on the Lord's day, we would say, you know what, it's not just me singing a few songs. No, we are a part of this heavenly worship choir. We come on Sunday and we sing whatever that reality looks like. We're a part of the reality of heaven. We get to say, hey, this is what I'm a part of. And John continues his vision. And as we see next, there's only one way. We get to heaven or we get to come before the throne of God. And it's by what John sees next. He sees Jesus. He sees the lion who is the lamb. This is in uh, chapter 5. John tells us there's one who sits on the throne who holds a scroll in his hand. And that scroll, when unsealed, will achieve God's kingdom purpose on the earth. So that gets pretty exciting. Once you read Revelation, once that's, those seals start to unseal, it gets pretty exciting. But John says there's no one who can open the scroll. It looks like God's, God's plan will not unfold. This is the crisis in heaven in this moment. It's so terrible. Did you notice? John starts to cry. Do you see that? I guess there are tears in heaven just once. He, he wept. He wept and wept, it says. But the question is asked, and this is the, this is the key question here. Who is worthy to open the scroll? That's an, kind of a strange question, isn't it? Who is worthy? You think they would ask, who's strong enough to open the scroll? Who could open the scroll the fastest so we could all look inside of it? That's not the question. The question is one of character. Who is worthy? Who has the right character? And the truth is, None of us has that character. We all sin. As human beings, we all fall short of the glory of God. We are not worthy to open the scroll. We need someone who is worthy, a savior, who can forgive our sin, who can triumph over death, who can unseal the scroll of heaven and a new relationship with God. And that's what Jesus came to do. He is 
the worthy one. We read in verse 5, one of the elders said to me, do not weep. He wipes away our tears in heaven. That's cool. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. This catches us completely by surprise. See, John hears the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. He has overcome. And then John turns to see this powerful, majestic, ferocious lion, but instead he sees a lamb. And not just any lamb, but one who's been slain. One like one of those Old Testament lambs that would have been sacrificed on an altar for the forgiveness of sins. This is Jesus. He is the lion. And he is the lamb. The imagery tells us that Jesus the lion has triumphed. But it's through nothing less than his own death and resurrection from the dead. And we too get to share in that victory. Not by, not by our good works, not by proving our worth to God. No, we don't need to do that. We just need to trust the worthy one. I trust the lion who is a lamb who was slain. He has achieved salvation for you and for me. He is our way to heaven and into God's throne room. Verse 9 after finding out that Jesus is the worthy one, he can open the scroll. It says, they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, and people and nation. And you've made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And Jesus has forgiven us by his blood and because of Christ, we will reign with Jesus on this earth. That is our great hope. We share in his victory. But you guys get the vision? See what's going on in heaven right now? There's a lot of worship around the throne right now. Heaven really is a magnificent and stunning place of worship. So what does that mean for us? What difference does that make? And so take a look at this. This is our vision. We envision a church where God is worshiped on earth as he is in heaven. Isn't that how Jesus taught us to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we come to church, we worship God, we want to worship together on earth like God is worshiped in heaven. And what does that mean? What would that look like? Are we... I want to start with Jesus. Jesus modeled for us a life of worship. And for Jesus, that, that life of worship was lived out in three trajectories. And they're, they're familiar to us here at Hope. Jesus had three great loves. This is how Jesus lived his life. Up, in, and out. A life of worship is up. It's loving God. And this is our first and most important love. It's in we love one another within the family of believers. We, we love those within the, the family, church family God has given us and other believers. But our love also extends out. We love our neighbors as, 
as ourselves. We, uh, we intentionally invest in the lives of some people who don't know Jesus and aren't following him because we want them to see how amazing God is so that Jesus can transform their life too. Life of worship is up in and out as Jesus beautifully models for us. But, you know, as we come to this Revelation 4 and 5, we ask, what does it look like to worship God on earth as he's in heaven? We shouldn't be surprised to see that it's up in and out. What do you mean? Well, here's our grand vision of worship. Worship is up. That just means worship must be God-centered. The worship in heaven is centered around God and his throne. Just like in heaven. Worship is not about us. It's not about our preferences. Worship is not even about how it makes us feel. We worship God because he is worthy of worship. We worship God because God is to be glorified. That's what we see in heaven, isn't it? Verse 9, the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. Verse 9, the saints say, worthy are you, Lord, to receive glory and honor. Chapter 5, verse 12, the voice of many angels, numbering 10,000 times 10,000. Woo! In a loud voice sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive honor and glory and praise. Wow. I didn't hear anything about like, oh man, that, that, the drums. Oh man, a hundred million angels. That's getting a little loud in here. We turn that down just a little bit. I was once in a worship service. Person standing next to me, not my wife, leaned over and said, oh, can you believe this? I can't worship this. This isn't my style. Guys, worship has nothing to do with our style. It has everything to do with a God who is worthy. Our grand vision, Hope, is that worship really isn't about us. Worship isn't meant to focus on us. Worship is meant to focus up on a God who is worthy of glory. God must be the center of our worship. And here at Hope, he is. He is the center of our worship. And number two, what does it look like to worship God on earth as it is in heaven? Number one, God's going to be the center. Number two, worship must be an activity we do together. I don't know if you caught that. Everybody worshiping together around the throne. There's no one in heaven that expresses worship alone or that worships God alone. You don't have one elder. You got 24 elders. There's not one living creature. There's four living creatures. There's not one angel. There are a hundred million angels all bowing down before the throne. I just point that out because we won't worship, we won't experience the worship of heaven if we're always isolating ourselves. Right? To come, to gather with the people of God in times of worship is a source of incomparable strength and joy for us as believers in Jesus. It's a foretaste of heavenly glory. I don't want to worship by myself. I want to come and worship with the saints around the throne. Revelation 5, 8, I love this. This is just a little bonus material at 1057. <laughs> Woo! Um, Revelation 5, 8 mentions a close link between worship and intercessory prayer. Just a little bonus thing for you this morning. Did you guys notice the, the elders and the living creatures? 
as they worship God, are holding these golden bowls, um, which it says are the prayers of the saints. Isn't that interesting? That even, even in worship, there's a connection with how we're praying for one another. This is how worship connects us. Worship brings us together. Uh, worship is an opportunity here at Hope on Sunday mornings for us to serve together. Uh, you may have heard the word liturgy. It's often been said, liturgy is the work of the people. Here at Hope, uh, for us to do what we do on Sunday morning, it is the work of many people. And we couldn't do it without every one of you who serve so faithfully in our classrooms and in, uh, you know, in, out front or you know, in just so many ways. And if, you, if you're not serving, we just want to say, come, do ministry with us, because Jesus really is worthy. He deserves the praise. Up, worship must be God-centered. In, worship must be an activity we do together. Last one, out. I love this. Worship must be amplified on the earth. We want to amplify this worship, baby, on the earth. Say, where do you see that in the worship of heaven? Uh, listen to the song of the four living creatures, the uh, three times holy in Revelation 4.8. They never cease to stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Where else in scripture do we hear those words? Holy, holy, holy before the throne. Anybody? Isaiah, Isaiah 6, right? The seraphim around the throne. Let's put that up. This is what the seraphim sing. Around the throne, Isaiah sees. They're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So how interesting is that? The living creatures are singing of the holiness and greatness of God. Yet they tweak the song just a little bit. Do you see it? Do you see the little change? What does that tell us? Why would they change the song just a little bit? Well, this tells us that God's intention is that the earth would be completely full of his glory. Right? And we get glimpses of God's glory already. The heavens declare the glory of God. But is our earth completely full of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea? Not yet, right? Hasn't happened yet. So what do the living creatures declare? Holy, holy, holy is the one who is and who was and who is to come. Because when he comes, the earth will be full of his glory. And that day's coming. Worship must be amplified on this earth. And it will be amplified on this earth. The vision ends in John 5.13. John says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea. That's every body and all that's in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The Lamb has purchased by his blood people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. This is a worldwide praise that is being ushered in by the work of the Lamb. So I just ask today, why, why do we love our neighbors? Why, why, do we, why, is, why do we have such a passion for being in the lives of people who don't know Jesus, why are we as a church relentlessly outwardly focused? And the answer is worship. Worship. John Piper once famously said, missions exist because worship doesn't.
That is why we do what we do. We want to see worship amplified in our workplace. I want to see worship amplified on my school campus and in my neighborhood until the glory of the Lord covers this earth as the water covers the sea. That's where this story is going. Let's put it all together. We envision a church where God is worshiped on earth as he is in heaven. And what does this grand vision work look like? It's up and out. Worship must be God-centered. An activity we do together, and it must be amplified on this earth. When you come on the Lord's Day and you worship, what's your vision? Do you see what you're part of? Pretty spectacular, right? There's a parable of a man who came upon a construction site. He saw three people who were working. He asked the first, what are you doing? Man replied, I'm laying bricks. Came across another guy who was working at this construction site. Hey, what are you doing? I'm building a wall. And then he came to a third man and heard him humming a tune as he worked. And he said, what are you doing? The man stood, looked up in the sky and smiled. He said, I'm building a cathedral. Vision makes a difference. We come to worship. We're not just going through the motions. We're not just not laying our bricks. We're building a cathedral. We're a part of heavenly reality. We're getting a foretaste of something we're starting now and we're going to do forever. It is that amazing. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we get to honor and worship you. As we sing this closing song, God, remind us of those elders who represent all the people of God singing and praising you. Remind us of the living creatures who bring the song of all creation. Remind us of the Lamb who was slain so that we might come into heaven before your throne as people who declare your praise. We love you, God. We give you all the glory.